Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wealth Conversation podcast with me, Tsitsi Mutiti. I guide high-achieving women on their journey to build lasting wealth so they can prepare for an abundant future in every area of their life. I hope that today's episode will help you to transform your relationship with money so you can make the choices that will enable you to create the opportunities and lasting wealth that you desire. Let's get straight into this week's episode. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend and former client, Wadzanai Garwe. In this episode, we will be discussing the shame that sometimes accompanies indebtedness, our own money stories, and how she believes that individuals can become the designer of their financial future. Wadzanai is an author, coach, economist, activist, mother, sister, and a friend. She studied finance and community economic development. Her coaching business focuses around workplace toxicity. In honor of her late father, Wadzi founded the Edmund Garwe Trust, which works on education and concentrates on child-headed households that have been affected by the two pandemics, HIV and COVID. Welcome, Wadzi, to the Wealth Conversation podcast. Thank you, Titi. I'm so excited to be here. This is so exciting. I'm excited as well. Please share a bit more about yourself and your background. Well, I'm the eldest daughter. Uh, my my mom was is a nurse, was a nurse, uh, and then she decided to become a businesswoman. My dad was a teacher, became a schools inspector, and then uh, became ambassador and then minister in Zimbabwe. So I've led a very interesting life in the sense that um, I've traveled a lot. I actually um, call myself uh, an intrepid African nomad uh, because I, I, I find that I've, I've been traveling a lot. I've lived in a lot of countries. And so I am by profession an economist. However, I am also a writer. I've, I've currently on my third um, book, uh, collaboratively, collab- collaboratively, and so I've authored three books. Um, I am a coach and mentor, uh, specifically in workplace toxicity, so bullying and harassment, and uh, any any areas around work uh, workplace grief, uh, because we suffer a lot of loss um, in the workplace that we never acknowledge. Um, and so, and also um, specifically leadership and women's leadership, because I feel like we're going through um, an era when women are more more in charge and the roles are changing. And then I'm also the co-facilitator of a conversation that we call African Conversations with Self. So what we do is we talk to um, post-colonial Africans about the trauma, uh, the joys, um, and the and the and the pitfalls of being a post-colonial African. So, in short, Tizi, I'm a multifaceted woman who is also a mother. I'm a divorcee, uh, and I'm a professional, and I've been uh, uh, the main breadwinner and and kind of the main guide within my family. Wow, Wazi, um, that is a lot. Yes, it is, right? You know, darling, I wish I knew. You know, there's times when I'm kind of like, 
Wadzi, where do you find the time? But mm. I do. And as, as we do, you know, you just, you keep going. And I, I love life. So I'm living my best life. Oh, I love that. I love that, Wadzi. Now, we have worked together. I have coached you in terms of your finances. Um, and you have got an even more interesting money story. Could you share a little bit about your, your money story with us? Yes. Um, so to see my money story, and it was very interesting when, when we first, when you first coached me, the first question you asked me was, what was the view of money in my family? Right. And it kind of, it kind of took me a, a little aback because we never look at our money stories from the perspective of our family. And I think one of the, the, the things, and I'm going to apply it to myself, uh, because one of the things we found when we were having the conversation together was that um, I would say that there is some differences between firstborn African children, and in this case, firstborn Zimbabwean children and the other children, because we felt a great sense of responsibility, almost a co-parenting with our parents. And the other similarity is um, your parents died when you were young, and one of my parents died when I was fairly young. I was a young adult. And so we've taken on a lot of responsibility. So I would say that my money story, uh, until I had had a session with you and also with Vangile Makwakwa, my money story was one that was tied to uh, responsibility and honoring other people's journeys. So I would do things for, for people. Um, I remember we did an exercise where, where we looked at uh, what my many habitudes were. And one of the biggest is giving. And that's really one of my biggest um, habitudes still. I did the habitudes again the other day. And um, it's improved, but it's not gone. And so giving is one of the biggest um, things that I do. So service, um, I think my money story was really concentrated around service to others in many ways, uh, sacrificing myself and sacrificing my joys and, 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 you know, sort of concentrating on ensuring that others were fine. So all my, all my efforts went to, went towards the, the, the making the family achieve what society believes are the, the hallmarks of being successful. So ensuring that we had a home, for example, so we built a home, ensuring that the kids were in good schools, so they went to private schools, ensuring that the family was doing what it needed to do. So I was forever serving others and giving to others. And so I worked a lot. I was overambitious. Uh, I, I kind of fed into this societal idea that to be successful you have to live in a certain space you have to drive a certain car you have to do certain things um and so I became indebted because I was looking after the family mm, that resonates so much with me because as you say our our money story or at least our past money stories are quite similar and I suppose just as how I felt when I was going through similar things and finding myself getting more and more in debt, along with that debt piling up came this, this money shame, which is attached to indebtedness. And could you share how that debt, first of all, impacted your general well-being and what you felt when you were feeling that, that money shame? 
the thing about um, money is we don't talk about it in our families. People have an idea of who you are as a person and they decide, for example, they decided that Wadzi was the international development specialist and she had money, you know? My kids were, were in private school. Um, I, I was living a life that looked as if it was successful and in many ways it was. However, uh, I, I was still struggling. And so the shame in saying, I can't afford this lifestyle, right? I'm living this life, but I'm not sure that, you, you don't understand how much pressure it's putting me under. And you don't understand how much I'm having to struggle to maintain this. So I, I, I lived a life of anxiety, I would say, right? There was a, a great deal of shame, a great deal of embarrassment, but all hidden because I can't have this conversation with anybody. I cannot talk to, to, to my mother about it. I can't talk to my sisters about it. I can't even really talk to my husband about it. So it's, it's kind of like I have this shame around money. I can't talk about it. And yet I get further and further in debt. And, and, and then I'm asking my friends to cover my debt. I'm, I'm borrowing from financial institutions. And so, and it's all about trying to keep paddling uh, with your legs underwater and people can't people can only see the top I, it's it's this um, image i have of ducks where people there was a, a picture i saw where this duck up you know serene looks serene as it floats across the water but under underneath it's paddling you know rapidly to keep to keep um afloat and and that's how i felt uh about money that's how i felt about my life and I felt that I had nobody I could speak to. I felt as if I was alone in this journey uh, until I spoke to you and, and Bangile. I had never actually understood the trauma around um, the family trauma we had around money. Yeah, the conversation is so vital and it can really resolve and ease a lot of things, you know, and I also discovered that the, the hard way. Um, and I think in a lot of societies, we don't realize that um, it's not really anxiety on its own that is leading to some behaviors, but it's, it is actually that shame and the embarrassment, as you've rightly said, of going to somebody and saying, I can't do this anymore, or I can't afford it. Because I think as individuals, once you've been in that cycle of being the, the, the breadwinner or the one who supports people, you yourself feel like you've let yourself down and you don't want to let other people down. And that feeds into the feeling of uh, being, being ashamed. Um, yes. Then we end up, you know, as you said, borrowing from financial institutions, asking friends to support us. And, in, and at the same time, piling up debt, we're owing more and more and more people. And exactly where like that duck, you know, that seems to be gliding along quite, uh, quite uh, nicely, but underneath the water, it's, it's paddling for, for dear life. What do you think um, would have changed in your money story if you had been able to have conversations with people around you at a younger age? 
I think the first thing is normalizing a conversation around money. The second thing I think is really understanding people's needs, because a lot of the time as the eldest, we anticipate needs. We decide that, oh no, this person must need this and this will make them happier, etc. So instead of anticipating needs, just asking, you know, and when you've asked not to make a commitment to pay for everything. So one of the biggest lessons I learned from you, Titi, is the fact that even with my giving, I can decide how much I'm going to give a month. Whereas before, if I got an SOS and people said I need $100, I would be looking for $100. And I'd never say, okay, I can contribute $20 to your 100 right? I would be like, okay, the impetus is on me to, to, to find this money and to give it. So one of the, the, the biggest things that... Um, I think the money story should have is firstly one needs to decide and one needs to look after oneself. So the first you come first because you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you come first, you also need to make people aware of the fact that look, even if you think I can afford this, it's not something I want to do right? It's not within my value system. It's not something I agree with. And just know. And so I think learning to have these honest conversations. And I think one of the, the hugest things, Tizi, I wish we had had at school was, you know, financial literacy. I just wish that they taught financial literacy in schools. Because if you come from a family, you know, we're lucky we come from sort of a middle class family. So we didn't come from poverty as such, but we did come from families that had a lot of commitments and our parents were people who were expected to pay for a lot of things. So I think that um, if we had been able to even have an honest conversation with our parents around how they viewed money, how, how they kind of uh, managed their resources, how they sort of looked at, uh, at at spaces they were in because we never had those conversations. And then, I, you know, my dad used to say, you know, don't never spend more than you, you than you earn, etc. But we were never taught. We were ne we never got financial literacy around that. So I think it's so important that financial literacy is needed at home, in schools, and everywhere. An honest conversation around money is needed. Uh, being able to say, no, I can afford this. I can't afford that. Um, I need to do this. No, I can't do that. And I think putting oneself first and really ensuring that one is in a, in a position where you are happy to help and don't feel resentment at helping. Yeah, you've raised some really good points. And I think for you know people who are listening to this podcast who are parents now, it is something that we need to focus on and you don't have to know everything about money. You know, I feel that's maybe a reason why maybe my parents didn't have that money conversation with me because I, I'm not sure how much they really knew about managing money, etc. I also know that they, they were very, very busy with, with work and also supporting, you know, the, the wider family. So I assume that time was also a constraint. So the conversation definitely needs to come from as many angles as possible because not one angle can really answer everything. Just to add to what you said as well, having those conversations about why 
money is managed in a certain way or why money is given to certain people is, is very important, especially in African households, because there are a lot of households where one individual or two individuals are supporting the, the wider extended family and just having that conversation within your household about why this is being done, I think is helpful because I, I really think part of my giving came from seeing my parents supporting family members, which is an amazing thing to do. And I really wanted to continue that legacy. I just didn't realize that I have to make sure that I can look after myself first and then give from my overflow. So you are the co-founder of African Conversations with Self. And as we are talking about the conversation in African households, what do you think is the impact right now to the post-colonial African when it comes to personal indebtedness and money shame? Well, it starts with our governments, Titi. If you look at uh, how we rely on aid, we're always sort of going to the World Bank. We're always looking for financing elsewhere. The conversation is never about what resources do we have and how can we use them. It's always about lack. It's always about we need to borrow from someone or we need somebody to come and save us. And I think this permeates the whole post-colonial conversation. Another thing is the sense of entitlement. You came and stripped us of our work. So you owe us and therefore we're not going to do anything about it. You owe us, you need, we need reparations. And I think this is the, this is the African conversation around money, which then filters down into the extended family in which anybody who kind of makes it out or, or seems to be more successful is always expected to, to pay the larger share. It's never about everybody contribute equally. And those that can't contribute money can contribute in time and effort and etc. It's always like, okay, in Zimbabwe, I think they've got this term, this new term called mbinga, which I think means, you know, big man, um, chef, this, 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 this person who has a lot of money. And that's, that's culturally how across Africa, people are always like, oh my goodness, this is a big man. He can pay for everything. So there's always that expectation that somebody else will pay. And I think this is the this is the story that we've been unpacking, and this is the story that we call black tax, because of this you 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 belong to a village. There are no boundaries about who is supposed to be in in sort of expected to receive help from you. So my aunt, three times removed, child whom I don't even know, is still thinking that I am going to look after their education when it's not it's not. It's not really something that I need to do, but because you come from the better family in inverted commas, or you seem more successful or more wealthy, you're expected to pay. So I think the post-colonial story around money is a, is a huge story around trauma, unresolved expectations, uh, and undiscussed expectations. Because even if you look at our land issue in Zimbabwe, it was around, oh, the, the, the British owed us and they needed to pay us. And yet we have a resource. And yet we are not using that resource to its ultimate ability because we always feel like somebody should come in and save us. So I think the post-colonial African story is one of about victimization, uh, trauma, and this 
permeates throughout not just government, it permeates throughout private sector, it permeates throughout the families. Because we always expect, if, 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 um, if you look at, at our setup, because our, our system is not set up to have pensions, children become the pension plans of the parents. So, so in post-colonial Africa, parents educate you and they don't educate you for yourself. They educate you for themselves because they're saying, once you can work, we hope that you can pay for us. So it's always about someone else swooping in and saving you. Someone else, you know, running your finances. It's never about taking responsibility for your own life, taking responsibility for your own finances and taking responsibility for everything that you do. So there's always this feeling like it's always somebody else's problem. So this, is, this I think, is our colonial trauma um, around money around most of Africa, I think, because there are very few African countries where people say, you're entitled to have a good life, you should have money, you should be successful. What advice would you give to someone listening right now who is feeling ashamed about being in debt or not being able to manage their finances? The first thing I would say is, the, you know, get help. You cannot do this by yourself. Uh, I mean, I have a degree in finance and I still needed uh, a financial advisor. So get help, get help because there is no shame in this. You know, it is something that needs to be learned. Like anything else, um, you have to learn it. It's like riding a bicycle. Um, financial uh, literacy needs to be developed. And if, if you're unable to sort of pay for a financial advisor, you know, get on podcasts like this, um, listen to conversations like this, um, and just get yourself some education around money and, and, and how you can handle it and, and how to have a budget and how to live within your means and how to pay off debt and how interest works when you borrow. Because that's one of the things that you taught me, I, and as I said, I'm a person who studied finance, but I never used to look at the interest rates of what I was borrowing. And I never used to calculate that, oh no, I've got to pay off this debt quickly. I've got to get out of um, an overdraft situation because this is the biggest hurdle I have. And I've got to have, I've got to be able to know exactly how much money I have in cash resources to be able to work around it. So I would say to anyone, firstly, get financially literate, understand the terms, really get yourself out of debt first, really concentrate on ensuring that you've climbed out of debt and you have, you are utilizing your money and you're utilizing all your salary so that three quarters of it, which is what I was paying, is, is, is not going to, to pay off debts. And you, you're always scrambling, you, you never get through the whole month um, all that stuff, uh, just have the conversation. And it, does, it doesn't happen overnight, you know. I keep falling back into my old ways. I keep, you know, doing stuff and then I remind myself, what well, Z, you can't pour from an empty cup. It's always, uh, one has to be very compassionate with one's money story. One has to be very compassionate with self. And one has to put oneself first. I now very much say to myself, have I covered myself before I look at everybody else, including my children? Because I used to think, oh, my child needs this and that one needs that. And, and I never looked at 
whom I was as, as a person. And I never considered the fact that you're the one who's working for all this money and yet you never enjoy it. So Titi, I think one of the biggest issues that I came to terms with were my values around money, my habitudes, as you called them. What is it that I held dear? What is it? What sort of a person was I? One of the things that really, really resonated with me is that money has no emotion. A person ascribes emotion to money, but money itself has no emotion. So people get emotional about money because that's how they feel. It's not that there's something wrong, right, or indifferent about money. It's how you feel about it. It's how you look at it. Now that I was able to objectively stand back, when I began to realize that money is actually a tool to deliver what I want and what I value, and also to look at where my expenditure patterns were, because your expenditures determine who you are as a person, right? If your expenditures are into luxuries or into travel like me, I, I spend a lot on travel. If your expenditure is into entertainment or if your expenditure is into other things, that's who you are. Those are your values. And, 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 and one of the things that really resonated with me is look at your, look, look at your, your, your bank statement and see where your money goes. And those percentages will tell you or show you where you are, but they'll also show you where you can make savings, where you need to move, what is it that you're overspending on, etc. So I would say that the biggest, biggest thing to see one is acknowledging that there is no shame in being in debt. That's number one. It's just something that happens. Even countries are in debt. I mean, right now the U.S. is in huge amounts of debt. So you can become indebted. It's not an emotional issue, but it is something that you need to climb out of. Another thing that I think is very important is make sure that your records are straight. Make sure that you, your, 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 your um, addresses are up to date with all your financial institutions. Another thing I would say, so the first is financial literacy. The second is ensuring that all your, all your paperwork is in order. And the third is have conversations with your children. Open bank accounts for your children. Get them to start saving and investing early. If I had had my children investing early, they could have had stocks in Apple. They could have had stocks in anything. They could be millionaires right now. Um, I did invest in property for them. So they are on paper quite wealthy in terms of, of having land. But imagine if I invested portfolios, I could have even paid their education through investment. So, so, Having a conversation around investment, getting your children financially literate early, getting them able to speak to their bank managers early um, and transacting, saving, investing, you know, and spending. That sort of thing is so important because once they are comfortable with money and once they understand that money is a tool and once they do not ascribe emotion to money, um, they will be much, much more able to run their lives in a way in which they are more aware, but not just aware of their money story, but aware of their own story, because money is only a reflection of our values. So those are the three critical things, I think, um, that I would say to people, should I be asked what should they do about their money story? And above all, if you can, even if you are in debt, get somebody like you to see 
because you helped me so quickly understand my money story. You gave me tools that I can use. And I, it was in the space of, I think, three months. And yes, I have a lifetime of tools. You know, this, this Habitudes um, survey that I've been doing is something that you introduced me to. I have a debt calculator in which I can look at my debt at any given moment and look at the percentages of the interest rates that I'm paying. I, I look at my bank statement without any feelings. You know, I just look at it and say, okay, what's it? what are your expenditures? All because of what we went through. And we didn't start by looking at my blank bank statement. We actually started by what are my values around money? What is my money story? Why am I, how did my family look at money? And so it, it actually brought it back to whom am I as a person and what am I trying to project? My money story is only a reflection of who I am as a person. I love that, Wadzi. Uh, there's so much in there, but you know, you started off by saying get help and I think what a lot of people don't realize is when you seek help from a professional or someone who's been trained in that area or someone who has gone through what you have gone through, it actually fast tracks your journey to get the your desired result, which in this case is either reducing your debt or completely clearing your debt. What I share with my clients that I coach is you know, several years condensed into three months of, of work and they can already see results. So seeking help really will fast track things for you, but it will also open up that conversation and get you comfortable with the conversation. And the conversation is ongoing, isn't it? So even if you are trying to teach your children about money, do not stop with the first conversation. Keep having those conversations because as you say, we forget sometimes and we slip back into our old habits. So it's really important to reinforce those things. Wadzi, thank you so much. There are so many different topics that I can pull out of our conversation today and literally have an episode <laughs> on those ones. <laughs> um, it's so true. <laughs> So, you know, I'll be in your inbox saying, Wadzi, can you come? Can I interview you again on this topic? <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to, because for me, you know, Titi, I just want for people to understand that it's also okay to make mistakes, right? It's okay to, to do something thinking that it's the right thing. And then you find out that it, it's not what works for you. But uh, 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 the one thing that I think, um, I've learned was the fact that I have a lifetime of tools, you know, not only do I have access to you if I need you, but you left me with these tools that I could use in my lifetime. You left me with tools that I could go back to. You left me with things that I can reflect on. Um, and not only that, you, you said to me, continue to have a conversation. And you said to me always, attend to your basic needs with compassion. That was the one thing that you kept saying to me, Wadzi, always be compassionate with yourself. Do not, you know, beat yourself up for, for, for doing certain things. And, and yes, it happened, but now you, you go back and you correct it. And I think that nurturing city, that, that sort of sense of 
this is not this does not need to be your story and I, I one of the nuggets that i want to share with people the first thing Tizi said to me was find something and i found a, a, a picture a painting it's by barry lumo and she said you you so i have a mantra um and my mantra for my money story is that i am worthy i matter I deserve to live my best life. And when I look at this picture, that's the mantra. This is what it represents to me and my money story. And so whenever I wake up and it's in my room, it's the first thing I see when I, when I open my eyes. And this was the first thing that Titsi ever said to me is find something that reflects something that you love, something that you, that you got yourself and attach this mantra around your money story to it. And it has served me so well because when I begin to, to forget, when I, because I still fall into debt, you know, I, I, I look at it and I'm like, no, Watsi, but this time you have looked at the interest rates on that debt. You know exactly what you're paying. You know when you want to pay it back and you know how you're going to, you know, juggle your other debt to ensure that, that you're paying this back. So, and, and you, you, you don't have a, 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 an overdraft anymore, you know, so all of these things to see are life lessons, which just by having that depiction, that, that picture in my room, I, I can see that I have grown. I'm a better person. I'm a person that's done stuff that I can, I can, I can be proud of. So I think, yeah, have, have a person like you, Tizi, to, to, to actually say to you, I've been there. Because the beauty of the conversation I had with you was the fact that you had been in the space that I was. Oh, Wadzi, as I always say to you, if I need help with marketing, I'll call you. <laughs> 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 that is so nice. But I think as, as for all coaches... You know, you don't know what the end result is going to be because people will come to you with one particular issue, but it's never that. It's always about the individual, who you are, as you say, your values. And once we get over that hurdle and understand those things, everything else is so simple. Um, and you're right, having a reminder, because we all get busy, you know, being busy, busy with life, things take priority. But, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you see that picture, it's a quick reminder to your brain even to just be like, you know what, it's okay. We know, we know what we're doing. We know what the strategy is. So I, I love that you still have the picture up there. And I love that you've remembered all the things that um, I shared with you. It's, it's, a, it's a great testimony also to, to your desire to do things in a different way. So in a few words, Wadzi, please could you share what wealth means to you in the following areas, physical, mental, spiritual, social, and financial well-being? In terms of my physical, uh, money means to me uh, freedom. Um, because I, it, it's a physical, it's, it's something I can move right? And it's not necessarily move it from one place to another. I can do it virtually. I can do it, um, you know, either I can withdraw it, etc. So in terms of my physical, what money means to me is that it is something that's transferable. It's something that can be moved. And it's something that I can utilize to as a tool. 
So for my mental, I think the beauty of money and and my money story is that mentally um, I have this this mantra, right? It, It showed me that I am enough as I am. I do not lack anything because uh, I'm in debt. So, or indebted or because my money story is a little bit uh, crazy. Uh, Mentally, once I found whom I am, uh, once I realized that what's is enough, and then I also was able to transfer that story to my money story and say, okay, this is my story right now, but this does not have to be, as you said, the story that I want to end with. And so mentally, I was able to put myself in a space where I could separate what are my values and where am I going to this is, this is who I am because I'm in this state. So I'm not that person just because I'm indebted. I am, I remain being Watsi. And what I have to work at is ensuring that my money story aligns to whom I am as a person, aligns to my values, aligns to the things I want to do. And so mentally, I have become so much stronger because I do not panic anymore. I, I, I sit and I plan. I can open my bank account and say, okay, this is what's going on right now. It's not, it's not exactly where I want to be, but I'm moving towards where I want to be. So mentally, I am so much stronger. I am so much less anxious. Um, money does not become the thing that changes my mood anymore. So spiritually, I have my moments to breathe. I have my moments to stay in the moment. And within the same space, by staying in the moment, it means that I do not succumb to uh, an anxiety around other things around me, which may not be what we're concentrating on at the time. Oh, I love that. So spiritually, I am at peace. I absolutely love that. Social well-being. The beauty of my giving nature, Titi, is the fact that I can still have the habitude of giving, but I can control it. I'm the one that decides where I want to give, how I want to give, and how I want to socially interact, right? So I can still maintain my African, I'm part of a village, I'm part of a, 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 a national village and a global village because my, 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 my family is not just national anymore. I have friends who have become family. And so socially, that my desire that fulfills one of my values, which is um, my love language is to give, is to give of myself, of things that I value. So financial well-being is I now live my life according to how I want my money to work. I don't live my life according to how I perceive that people would want my life to be. I live my life according to the things that I value, the things that I hold dear, and I put myself first. So as we speak to the, I am in Morocco. Um, I planned, I had no plan to come to Morocco at all. Uh, and yet one of my dear friends lost a mother and she couldn't come to Italy. Uh, and I couldn't fly to Mozambique because it was just too far. And we said, okay, one of the places we want to go is Morocco. 
And we said, let's meet in Morocco. And so we met in Morocco because I have the financial freedom to be able to put away money that I can then say, if I want to do a trip like this, um, that's just for my pleasure. I can. So I would say that my financial story is one of financial freedom. I absolutely love that financial freedom and just being at peace with, with who you are and understanding that, you know, you can always change things going forward. Wadzi, how can anyone listening to this episode get in touch with you if they want to work with you in terms of coaching or be a part of conversations with self? They can get hold of us. Uh, we have a Patreon site, African Conversations with Self. And this is where they would find the anthology. And it's great if they could subscribe and just listen to African conversations. And one of the conversations they listen to is you around um, their money story. And then uh, they can find us on Facebook, African Conversations with Self. They can find me on Facebook, Wadzanai Garwe. And they can also find me on LinkedIn, Wadzanai Garwe on LinkedIn. So I am on all social platforms. I'm also on Instagram, Wadzanai Garwe, and I'm on Twitter. So they can find me on any of these places. And I really hope that they really do listen to African Conversations with Self, especially for those who want to understand the true African experience from Africans who speak on, on the various experiences they have had. So these are very much... Um, an anthology of people and how they feel and what happens to them and how families work. So when you want to learn about Africans by Africans, they can listen to African voices recounting their experiences. Yeah, I love African Conversations with Self. It's such an impressive collection of Africans now sharing their experience. I highly recommend that people uh, subscribe to the Patreon um, site and, and have a listen. Thank you so much, Wadzi, for coming onto the Wealth Conversation podcast. You have been so open and so authentic. I know that at least one person is going to be encouraged to just step out of their money shame and reclaim their money story and, and change it for, for the better. You told me this is this is your story. This is your, you are the author of the story. So there is no need for you to end the story the way it's been going or the way it began. You can change the ending of your money story. And, and this has always resonated with me. So whenever I'm feeling despair, whenever I need to do things around money that may cause me a bit of anxiety, I always remember that I am the author of the story. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Connect with me at The Wealth Conversation on Facebook and Instagram so we can continue the discussion. Also, if you're ready to define what wealth truly means to you, then go to thewealthconversation.com and download the Wealth Cornerstones Guide. Until next week, stay focused on becoming the designer of your financial future.